It's Friday, March 29th, 2019, right? I think so. I think it is. It's anyway, we're getting close to the end of the semester. So welcome to Tech Talk for Teachers, the show about teaching and learning with technology. And again, I think this is episode 222, 222. Today we have Brian Poulter back with us and he's going to share some of the things that he's been doing as we complete the end of the semester and give us some uh, hints and tips about how to make those student projects come together here at the end of the semester. How to keep them on task, we hope. We hope and kind of build in some of those formative assessments, checkpoints, as we say, finish the semester strong. So with that, let's get ready to go. Here we go. We're back to talk about the last month of the semester. Hooray! Yay! It's crunch time, though. Oh. I don't. I don't know about you, but uh, the students are finally realizing that projects are coming due, which means we will be grading them. Grading them, and also, I'd like to spend a little bit of time today talking about some of the formative assessment and uh, some of the things that we can do to help students prepare and maybe not procrastinate so much. Procrastination, can that's you do just that human for nature. Faculty too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need these little checkpoints built in. I mean, it's just human nature. And uh, as as instructors, you know, we we have clearly in our mind, we've developed our lesson plans, we have these goals and things along. Some professors say, okay, it's due the end of the semester, last Friday of the semester, here it is. But I think you're kind of setting yourself up for a little bit of failure there because the students are going to wait till the day before the final day of the semester uh, to start some of those projects. So what are some strategies that we can use, you know, to help students get along in their projects? In a Machiavellian sense, I want them working on my assignments and not your assignments. That's true. They only have my class, so. <laughs> exactly. So building into some kind of check mechanism to remind them the assignment is going to happen at least keeps it in the forefront of their of their mind so they don't lose track of it and they do tend to work on the assignments that you think are important because you keep reminding them they exist yeah and i, th- I think you're in photography mm-hmm. so you're strongly project-based very strongly project-based but as you go along what kind of checkpoints do you well it, it sounds like it's a repeat of the syllabus but what i've doing the last few years is i literally go into my i calendar i'm on a mac and i put all the assignments in there you know, and then you can turn it off and print it out. And I literally print it out for them and I attach it to the syllabus or PDF it. And so I just say, keep an eye on your calendar. And then every time I give an assignment, I say, here's the one that's coming up. So we're five weeks left of actual classes, I think. Mm-hmm. Or we're, mm-hmm. Two weeks ago, I just said, here are the assignments due then, this is due then, this is due then, this is, I gave them the last four assignments. They know exactly what they're working on what they're doing because they built a skill base to do those. And we talk more about right before as they do one so they can polish that skill set. But it makes them plot out their life and plan it. And it also, because I'm project-based, allows them ma- to manage their time more efficiently because they know, oh, so let's say they're doing a uh, photo assignment. I think one of them is they have to do a news photo, a photo that's a scheduled event and that. Well, that gives them more time to figure out what scheduled event can I do it and if they fail, they have time to correct that. And I'm a big believer in letting students make mistakes on their own and fix them before you see it. Don't you know? give them three days unless it's a assignment about getting something done really quickly. 
get them working on it, but allow them a little bit of time to fail and correct. That, that's so important. You said polishing their skill set. And you don't get to polish something until you redo and redo and redo. Until you screwed it up. Yeah. Because if you can do it, well, why are we giving you that assignment if you already know how to do it? I, I say you guys are supposed to make mistakes. Yeah. I, I tell them that, you know, when I used to shoot film, you get 36 pictures in a roll of film. The old adage was if you get one good picture out of 36, you're a great photographer because you're supposed to be making mistakes in pursuit of excellence. Right, but that's so hard to ingrain in students that it's it's okay to fail. By the way, just as an aside, one of the things I do in photography is I show them my failures. Mm -hmm. I show them and say, here's a, here's a really good photograph. Now let me show you the tenant failed and why they failed but what I was trying to do. And I don't know how well it it doesn't relate to science, I think, because you want to get science absolutely right. I mean, there's a yes and no answer in terms of numbers and principles and did it fail the test or make the test. But I teach them, so when you're making a photograph of something you want to document, you make a photograph. Now you have a safe one. Now you take a riskier approach to it that probably is going to fail, but if it succeeds, then... Mm -hmm. It's going to be wonderful. If you're assigned to shoot a baseball game, I say you, you go behind the backstop, you push the lens against the fence so you can shoot through the fence. It won't be a focus. You focus over the batter's shoulder toward the pitcher, and you have that expression of the pitcher trying to throw a pitch. Now, if lightning strikes, you got a picture. Right. But now you can start shooting. The outfielder's trying to drop a ball or, or plays at second or third. Or I like to try to shoot shortstops because that's, that's where a lot of mistakes are made. Um, but if I don't get that shot, I have a safe shot. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I try to do in my assignments is, here's how you get the basics that will make me happy. Now, what do we additive on that to make me happier and give you a better grade and, and show off more? Right, right. And I'm working with a faculty member now that's doing some educational technology, digital storytelling projects, and kind of have some loose criteria for the final project. And the final project is basically, you know, do a three-minute digital storytelling project, and it can either be video or audio. The final product needs to be an MP4 or an MP3 file. Well, as you know, there's thousands, thousands of apps out there that would be able to do that. However, do those apps produce what was asked for in the assignment? And I'm a huge fan of rapid prototyping. So it's like, okay, here's the parameters. Let me just go through. Let's just make you know a, a short little 10, 15 second, go through all mm -hmm, the steps mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because we still have students and I'm, I'm, I'm helping some students now. It's they, they ended up with a proprietary format that's locked into this cloud-based technology that, oh, by the way, this is the free version, but if you'd like to pay you know extra amount of money, you can get the MP4 and that's you know the freemium model out there. But that backward design, begin with the end in mind and go through there and do that. But again, instilling in students the repetition and you have to go through that failure cycle. You don't get better unless you fail and you don't get better if you don't recognize that you fail. So that's why I'm a, a huge you know, proponent of building in these formative assessments and checkpoints along the way because you just can't wait to get to the very end of the project and say, oh, here it is, you know, it's perfect because that's a process. Well, it's important too because you are primarily working with people that are going to become teachers and you don't want the technology to let you down and realize I picked the wrong technology. And as a teacher, I find the same thing is true in that if I'm using a new piece of technology or a new format or something, I do what you do. I make a little tiny version of something that I'm gonna use in class and make sure I can make it work and what happens. You know, you and I, I think, are especially, but you and I are unfortunate in this very large building we're in that houses multiple departments, and that when some technology fails, they come to us. And the reason they come to us for help is because 
we do this. We figure right. it, and we can fix it because we broke. We we yeah. make it break all the time. We're like, okay, how do we solve this problem? Mm-hmm. Although honest confession about it, every couple of weeks, I'm like, okay, Tom, I got this whole screwed up. You got to help me <laughs> save this. Yeah, I, I think that's so important. And you know, stress levels are going up, and again, that's just kind of the ebb and flow of of the academic cycle from semester to semester. But you know, the other benefit of having that's the reflection as a teacher going back, and I, I know you do this too. It's like, okay, this one didn't work out so well. How can I tweak it next time? I mean, it's the old adage, you know, did you teach twenty years or one time twenty times? And if I can expand that just one more second, it'd be something that popped my mind. So, and I have a, I'm teaching an intro to photo class, which is for photojournalism students and their final project is they have to do a photo essay tell a story in multiple pictures and the most important part at this point in the semester as they work on that in the last couple weeks is teaching them not how does the camera work maybe they got that but they're still working on that and they're never going to master it because i'm never going to master it totally but is pre-visualization and that is what do you want the result to look like? You don't go out and take pictures and push button. That's not even the beginning step. The beginning step is sitting down on the piece of paper and saying, what do I expect this to be about? And storyboarding a little bit, training your mind for what you want to achieve. And, and when you get there, things will be different and you have to adapt. Yeah. But that process of thinking about mm-hmm. the assignment and the end goal before you even sit down to write a paper or make photographs or make a painting or design a rocket, whatever it is, What's the general end result, and what do you want to avoid? And that makes you apply tools and technologies and methodologies more efficiently. And it also that self-questioning of why am I doing this may allow you to produce a project where, well, I can go this way and this way, and I can prepare for that at the same time. And right in the middle, then I can make the decision then. I'm not so locked in. So Mm -hmm. a big part of teaching storytelling is pre-visualization of where do you want to end up, but also be flexible enough that in the middle of it you go, okay, that's not quite going where I want it to go. The beginning of the process is sitting down to write or to paint or to draw or do math or whatever, and that's the middle part. And that's, they want want to hurry to the end and they're, 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 they're under stress. They want to get it done. Right. But you have to teach them that you reduce stress by planning, not by just jumping into the deep end of the pool and figuring out that you can't swim. Right. And that's that's hard to impart as a teacher because we've had the benefit of experience and, you know, going, going through and doing that. But as a novice, you do not see that. I see students questioning because we will make them draw out literally on a piece of paper with, mm-hmm. with pen and pencil, draw a storyboard, you know, the little comic book type thing. And, you know, this is the flow of the story and things like that. And a lot of them, I don't think, see the value in that because they're ready to jump to that end product. And that is where I think we have to be very, very careful as teachers because there's this concept of low fidelity, high fidelity. Our students live in this high fidelity world where they're used to seeing Hollywood productions and here's the final product. They don't see the thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of work that go into making that polished we just jump from okay concept product and it's all that mess in the middle that's where learning happens and you just have to go through it so 
those are some things and like I said kind of building those checkpoints in uh, along the way and doing that and you also mentioned something too that's difficult as a teacher because yours, yours is a prime example the mechanical process of you know changing shutter speed and f-stop and things like that that's new to many of mm-hmm. your students out there and we live in this you know modern smartphone world where you just click a picture you know and it's all magic and it just happens behind the scene and all the processing and things and not having command of I mean, basic fundamental things. And and speaking of keeping it fresh, you and I are kind of the same that we're always looking for something new just to kind of mix it up and keep a fresh perspective on things. I had a recent fail, and one of my technology picks uh, of the week was a gimbal that I'd purchased recently. And I thought I would go out and shoot a sunrise. So I set up my tripod. Of course, you know, sunrise, you've got, you know, 20 minutes maybe there to get it right because mm-hmm. the sun's not going to stop for you while I'm setting my camera up. At least hasn't for me yet. <laughs> uh, so I set it up and get ready to go. And I, you know, I, I'm fumbling with the mechanics of this. And I've got some wrong settings and things like that. But I went through and did it. And then, uh, you know, I set it for 20 minutes. So many the time lapse per, you know, every three seconds, I think I said, or whatever. Anyway, it got, you know, you're anticipating. Oh, it's going, it's going. I see, you know, the camera and everything's moving because uh, I'm doing some tr- tracking and things with it as well. And uh, 20 minutes later, I, I, I look at the the, role, the, the film or video, mm-hmm. showing my age here, <laughs> <laughs> on the smartphone, uh, and everything's just blown out, washed out. I mean, it looked great as the sun was coming up over the horizon, but I think I had my exposure set to auto exposure or maybe I didn't. I think maybe I had it locked. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, it did not work. Uh, everything just blew out. And, you know, I had a lovely flare picture out there. So that's something that I failed at. And the next time I do it, I'm going to fail again because I'm still figuring it out. And what I'm envisioning, you see these pictures in books, like in astronomy books, mm-hmm. you know, with the sun here, picture here, picture here, or the moon, whatever it is. But uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not spreading my... Uh, my uh, shutter whenever it takes the picture i'm not spreading it out far enough because you know it's a gradual process Mm -hmm. and i just had them basically turned into a video you know a pretty quick video on that so so what do you do head out to youtube and say how to do time lapse sun sunset sunrise sunset and you know all kinds of videos out there so i'm in a learning process right now somewhat related to that at least in my mind um it's week 10, and I and so in my intro to photo class, we give them, not give them, we, we they can use, they can check out Canon point-and-shoot cameras. They're little point-and-shoot cameras with zoom, and then you have full manual control and various audios and all that sort of stuff. And we shoot in the raw format. If you know what that is, it's basically it's what's in the camera before it's JPEG, and so you can manipulate it more, and it gives you a lot more choices. And I like choices because choices allow to make you, more choices mean more mistakes. And you learn, you figure out what what's bad. So in week ten now, I finally say, pull out your iPhones, which in this day and age, ninety nine point nine percent of them have. And I say, now I'm going to teach you how to use your iPhone or your Android phone to make photographs. First of all, we use a different app usually than what's on there because it gives us more control. We set we use that that piece of software allows them to shoot in raw. Um, it was a tech pick before Snapseed. We we. Mm-hmm. Photoshop with that. It's free, by the way, Snapseed, Snapseed um, Google product that you can manipulate your photographs with. Nice tool. But the point is, 
only now do I let them use the more automatic tool because they know how a camera works and what some settings can do and they actually make better photographs because they understand that these phones have fixed apertures mm -hmm. and how do you overcome that and what that's, do you do with yeah, that? Yeah, that's interesting as a teaching strategy because we do the same thing in mathematics. It's like, okay, here is the process to go through and do that. And then once you have had the burden of that mechanical process, oh, by the way, here's a nice little mathematical a trick. Yeah, a shortcut that you can go through. But again, that's necessary. But sometimes you don't want to use the shortcut. Sometimes Not right going away. through the slow process allows you to manipulate some middle process right. that allows a different result. and. It's why maybe it's the best to teach someone how to learn on an automatic if you have your choice and then teach them how to shift. A lot of people would say do it the other way, but I want them to think about safety and looking and 10 and two on the wheel and all that. And then I say, let's make this a little bit more complicated. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because when I was teaching chemistry, we had the same thing, some very brilliant, bright students. And, and uh, I, I had one, uh, one young man that uh, always challenged in a good way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, you why? know, why or why don't you do this? You know, you could, you know, he, he was sharp. He would catch on. It's like he, he saw the shortcut. It's like, well, you just spent three steps and I could have jumped to that, you know, right away. And it's like, yes, that will work, except in this situation, again, because of the benefit of experience. It's like, yes, I could have taught you that, but there are going to be situations where that will not work. And, and you slow it down and you get them to think about process and process produces result. And if you pick a better process for a certain situation that you might normally not pick, you may get the better result. You might ask the question in such a way or approach it in such a way that it gives you more options. Yeah. Yeah. So as teachers all around the country this time of year in the spring semester and higher education institutions, uh, everybody's kind of going through, as I say, this cycle of academia. And, uh, you know, students are, are out there working on their final projects. And just keep that in mind. And as we finish these last four or five weeks, build some checkpoints in there. Check in. Make them show you a physical product because it's like, yeah, I got this. Or, no. Or an you have to see or a something proof of concept yes. or a template or some evidence that they're not going to do it in the last two hours the night before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. My technology pick of the week this week. Actually, I think we're going to change it this week. My tech podcast of the week this week is. Um, that's not quite right either, but I would like to talk a little bit about podcasts because I've been doing a lot of podcasting. Another one that I worked on just yesterday with our graduate school, uh, Dean Hendrickson, has started a podcast, and I think we're in 10 episodes of it, called EIU Innovate. And uh, yesterday was opening day for baseball. So uh, Dr. Uh, Hendrickson uh, invited in Ed Worley. I think you know mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Worley from our history department here at EIU. And I don't know if you knew it or not, but he recently wrote a book called Breaking Babe Ruth. Okay. No, I didn't. I haven't read the book, but the story that he was telling on the EIU Innovate podcast was uh, kind of the misconceptions of Babe Ruth and all the legends and things. And, you know, he spent five years writing this book, and it's a very, very interesting podcast. And I'll provide a link to the EIU Innovate podcast out there in the show notes. The other one that I think I shared with you uh, a few uh, few weeks ago that I happened to catch is a podcast, I think, from Public Broadcasting uh, New York. It's called Dark of the Earth, 
And it's this fascinating story. We're talking about storytelling and, you know, photos tell stories. Mm -hmm. We're mentioning for our teachers and presenting, you know, project-based learning, how to tell stories and things. But this is just a masterful job with what you can do with, you know, 20 to 50 people on your staff, a symphony orchestra and everything. But it's about some uh, tales from astronauts in space, and it's just an absolutely riveting podcast. And I would highly recommend that uh, uh, you look that up on the Internet, or again, I will have a link on or a link in the show notes called Dark of the Earth. And then Brian had just mentioned another one that uh, he had uh, told me about and I've been listening to. And it's a podcast called Hidden Brain. It's wonderful. And I think it's also a public broadcasting, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, it's a former Washington Post reporter who basically, and I forget who the guy was, but it was so good that some, he used to do a very short segment on NPR, and Shankar Vedantam, I think I'm saying yeah. his name correctly, he did the short segment where he takes social science research and explains it in very common, nice storytelling format. And you're like, wow, it makes it really accessible for social sciences, history, all that Edu- sort of stuff. Yeah. He's a former award-winning Washington Post reporter. Anyway, somebody with some means and money said, hey, I like this so much. Here's a bunch of money. Why don't you turn this into a, a podcast? And it's become very well-respected and, uh, and I, I, You know, as a, as a kid, I grew up listening to radio. You know, in, in the mornings, we'd turn on the radio. And hear all the you know various announcements and things. There's something a little bit more relaxing about listening to radio in kind of a laid back you know style, uh, not having a TV set or anything. It's just, it's just a different media experience. And making maybe it's going to make me sound old, and I am. But in one of my classes, journalism and democracy, I make them listen to NPR Morning Edition. Just I want to get them in the habit of listening to news, and I, I, I quiz them on it. And even the kids who are first struggling kind of listening skills really and and being good journalists but this is a general education class almost all of them come to me and say i'm glad you did that to me that's the way the way they do it like i physically beat them up i'm glad you did that to me because i really have better conversations with my roommate and in my classes and i just kind of feel like i know what's going on but I think we have so many media that people aren't as familiar with this, how great this form of story, long extended form of storytelling can be in terms of a radio style or podcast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another term that's kind of come in and out of vogue over the years is transmedia. Mm-hmm. Whenever, you know, telling that story in multimedia as a photo, you know, in newspapers, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Here's a photograph, capture your attention, read the, you know, subscript headline or a subscript underneath the uh, photograph. Here's the headline. Here's the article out there. I mean, it's just hitting those multiple pathways in the brain. What and newspapers are out there to make you read these articles. So what captures, you know, what captures the attention, what draws you in, you know, to, to, to go ahead and, and further read that uh, article. Okay, so those are just some three podcasts out there. Just again, thousands and thousands. And I ask my students, I, you know, I quiz uh, students coming in here to the ITC, and I would say probably less than a third of them listen to podcasts, which to me is kind of surprising. But when you turn when you turn a, a student onto a podcast, make it about their interest. I mean, you want you want it to be a hook. You want you want them to follow through, because what we do in the classroom is so limited. You know, there's so much of the learning goes out and outside the classroom. And again, I think we kind of train our students coming up through that. Okay, it's class time. This is I'm here to learn this. And then I think you know most good teachers like no 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 no. This is the start. I expect you to spend another two or three hours outside of class to follow up on these. Concepts, you know, and 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 learn more. Oh, and and also in that class, I take about 
25 minutes when we have to do a, a test that we have to do and get it out of the way for the university, but I have about 25 minutes left. And I play about five minutes from about five different podcasts that I think would make them better, smarter people by listening to Constitutional Washington Post, Presidential Washington Post, Hidden Brain, which we talked about, great storytelling, This American Life, um, and just for storytelling, how you tell a story, Radio Lab. And the whole idea is there are, there's a, not that I want everybody double tasking or multitasking all the time, but you're, on, you're driving, these college students are driving two hours home. Well, why not load a podcast down to your iPhone and listen to it and, and make it an enriching experience? And so it's part of the concept that let's expose our students to good content and maybe they'll right. seek it yeah. out on their own. Right. Well, it's about learning how to learn. You know, you, you, you learn by experiencing these things and the more things that you can experience, but not only experience, but pay attention to while you're, you know, it's, it's just not mindless listening. These, these are fascinating, gripping stories and that's the art of the storytelling. And if you want to be a good writer, you have to read good writing. If you want to be a good musician, you have to listen to and try to rip off by playing on your own guitar or your own instrument, that music. And, and so mm -hmm. that's how you teach, I think, is modeling. Okay, so what's your tech pick for this week? I'm going to go a little bit more science-based. Um, there's something, well, I'm glad you didn't say it because you were going to say purple rain, as you always say. It's 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 by uh, just go to purpleair.com, and what it is is a it's a it's a sensor you can buy. It's about the size of a large coffee cup, and it's what it does is it reads the air and it tells you how much pollution or pollen or uh, volcanic ash or whatever is in your environment. Yeah, and, and environmental and it, monitor. It's only about $249, which is, yes, $249 American, but it uh, is less than 3000 And as we enter hay fever season, which I'm very attuned to, um, <laughs> it just, it's, it's another uh, data point or, or something that can produce data that you can work with in the sciences. Also, you know, a lot of schools now will have a, a, a weather cam or weather stuff from their school, and it's a good way to integrate yourself into your community and make your school part of the community. When there, you, The more ties you can form between your school and the community at any level, I just think it's you'll get more support, not just in terms of maybe tax dollars or something, but just uh, supporting the school in general. So it's another way to make yourself central to uh, the community. Right, and then as teachers, as the science teachers oh, or, yeah. or mathematics teachers, you're not working with that real day, that what we in education call authentic learning uh, out there. It, it just makes it more real. And as you said, invest the community and uh, just a win-win for everybody. You know, during that harvest moon period when you're pointing to the moon and it's really orange and you go, I wonder what it is. Let's check the data and you'll find out that there's all this harvest stuff in the air. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. That wraps it up for episode 222 of Tech Talk for Teachers. For show notes, please visit the EIU Instructional Technology Center website at eiu.edu slash ITC. Be sure to check out the show notes this time because we have several links to uh, podcasts and what we talked about in the show today. So until next time, this is Tom Grissom. I'm Brian Poulter. Keep, Keep on learning. learning.